We're in the middle of a series called Better. And we've been looking at uh, wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And we're looking at several ways in which God's ways are better. Okay, we've looked at how wisdom is better. We've looked at how taking advice is better. We've, we've taken a look at how trusting God is better and having loving relationships is better. Today, we're looking at how integrity is better. The verse that starts us off with this is Proverbs 28.6, and it says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, we come to it this morning uh, with high expectations. Uh, we have expectations that what we will find is truth, and what we will find is power and spirit. We trust you to do both of those in our lives. Reveal to us truth and work in our hearts and our minds powerfully. Teach us and be our guide this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, better is a poor man. The word for poor man that Solomon uses is someone who is in want, okay? Someone who has very little uh, or, or nothing to spare. Poverty can seem like one of like, the very worst conditions imaginable. We tend to think of, of wealth uh, and, and material possessions as, as something that, that helps to complete our life. And if, if it was taken away, then our life could feel incomplete. Like if we were in poverty, we could, we'd be missing a component of our life necessary for us to feel like we're complete. But that word integrity literally means wholeness or complete. To walk in integrity is to live a lifestyle of submission to God's ways, his commands, his will. So better is a poor man who lives consistently in submission to God's ways than a wealthy man who's crooked in his. And that word crooked is any unethical behavior. The word means twisted. Anything that is outside of God's moral code that deforms his, way, his ways, that deforms his will or his commands. And if it's outside of God's moral code, if it's other than his ways, then there is a lack of wholeness. And crooked could be anything from bank robbery, murder, or adultery, even down to the smallest things, like paying for the eight-cent bag at, at Safeway, or, or, the, or not like the, the things that we do when, when we think that no one else is looking. Or being men and women of integrity in the, in the things that we, that we say that we're going to do and actually do those things. Or, or maybe where we allow our eyes to linger too long. When there's a lack of integrity, even in the small things, there is a lack of wholeness. I love this idea that, that if we're lacking wealth and material possessions, that does not mean that we aren't whole. That does not mean that our worth is diminished in any way. We can be complete men and women, even if we're lacking possessions and wealth. But if we don't have integrity, if we're missing components in our life like truth and understanding and wisdom and morality, then we cannot be considered whole. And what it gets down to is this. Between the poor man with integrity or the rich man who is crooked, between those two, who is worth more? How much is the poor man worth who has integrity? How much is he worth compared to the rich man who is crooked? 
Solomon says, better is a poor man. It is better, it is worth more to be poor and living according to the ways of God than to be filthy rich and live according to the ways of the world. Which means that integrity to God's ways is always to supersede material wealth. And this is not to say, of course, that that wealth is a bad thing. And this is definitely not to say that we can't attain wealth and still live with integrity. But wealth can be considered to be such a value in our lives that we can sacrifice integrity and become crooked in order to achieve it and gain more of it, thinking that when we do, that we will gain more worth. When in reality, the opposite is true. For many people, material wealth is thought of as the the supreme good in life. If you take that away, you take away their wholeness. You take that away, you, you take away their completeness. Jesus taught that it's not the ultimate good in life. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says to us, take care. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus has a couple of questions in Matthew 16, 26 that pertain to this as well. He says, for what will a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, more valuable than any wealth is living with integrity in the ways of God and not to trust the ways of humanity, not to trust what our our culture thinks is right, not to trust what our heart might feel or what our mind dreams up or thinks or, or what our yearnings tell us is right. See, in God's perspective, the way he knows it to be true is that it is better to have integrity and to be poor than it is to be crooked and rich. Back in 2003, I worked for a couple of years in Afghanistan, and we lived in guest houses, and uh, uh, we uh, commuted across this little neighborhood so that our, our guest house that was transformed into an office was in the same neighborhood. And, and all the houses that were in that neighborhood, they had these large walls around them uh, and to, for protection. And then in each wall, there is this large metal gate that was on rollers. And and outside of that gate, there was a little uh, guard shack. And we had guards, and they had AK-47s, and they provided protection and made sure that no one went in that not supposed to. And uh, they would be out there in the guard shack, and they would drink tea, and they would play games. And and some of us would go out there in the evenings, and and they would ask us questions about our family. They would ask us questions about our home. and we would ask them questions about the same. So we grew fond with them, and we would see them every single morning, spend time with them in the evening, see them every morning. We would get into our vehicles. The gate would open up. We would drive out, wave at the guards, and then go to work, and then do this again and again, day after day. Now, one day, one of the women that worked over there, one of the internationals, she was sick. She was living in the guest house that I was in, and, and she was sick, and so she stayed home. And a very bad guy. It's a long story involved in who this guy is, but he's a bad guy. And he, he drums up some of his cronies. And they show up in two vehicles and they pull in right in front of the gate and they get out with guns. And they come up to the security guard who has an AK-47 uh, and the bad guy tells our security guard we're going to go in there. You're going to open up that gate. We're going to go in we're going to do what we want, and we're going to take what we want. And the security guard stood there for a moment and thought for a second, 
And then he puts both hands on his gun, and he says, I have two full clips. And if you're still alive after this, then you can go in and do whatever you want in the house. <laughs> and the guys, let, they, he said some foul language to the guard. They all get back into their vehicles, and they split. And then the word spread. The word spread, and it wasn't long before then someone was coming up to me and saying, hey, did you hear what happened at your guest house? I was like, no, and they told me the story. And I remember just going, how? I mean, more than what happened. How? How, how does this happen? Right? How did someone risk his life to protect our possessions? How did someone risk his life to protect our house? How did someone risk their life to protect the people living in the house? How? And don't we ask the same question about our lives and our faith and our walk with Jesus? How do we have integrity consistently to his ways even when the guns come out, even when we're faced with danger, faced with fear or temptation? How do we stand there in the face of adversity or or temptation and commit to living according to his ways no matter what? To draw a line in the sand and say, I will not go any further because to do so would be to ignore his ways. So to begin answering the question of how do we consistently choose integrity and thereby choose consistently what is better, we're going to look at a few things and spend the rest of our time on answering how. If it's better and we want it, then how? I went to the guard shack after work and I asked him, I, told, I was like, I want to know what happened. He tells me what happened. And I was like, what were you thinking? What was going through, through your mind? And first he said that I just kept reminding myself. This is what he started off with. And he repeated this uh, a few times in the conversation. I, I kept reminding myself. First thing that we're going to look at is that we can have integrity by remembering. He said, I kept reminding myself. And this is something that we find in Scripture many times when it comes to following God and walking in his ways. It says we're to remember. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is just a great example of this. The, the Israelites are on the verge of the promised land for the second time, and Moses is speaking to, to them, and he, he's telling them about where they came from, how they got to this point, what's happened. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live And multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 6. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So how are we to walk in his ways? Verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. He continues, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied when you're wealthy, when you got possessions, be careful. 
because your heart could be lifted up. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. We are to remember. And we're to remember a few things. First of all, we're to remember and not forget the Lord our God. Don't forget our Lord. Because it is he who provides everything that we need. It is he who provides everything for our enjoyment. He is the one who delivers. He is the one that leads us as a shepherd leads his sheep. It is he who breaks the chains of slavery. He is our protector. He's our protector when there is terrifying wilderness and and, and scorpions and serpents. It is he who is our provider in lands without water in times when there, when there isn't any food, he provides you water, even from a rock. He provides you food delivered from heaven. Remember, remember our God who is all these things for us. And remember that this God has given to us his ways. He speaks. He reveals. He doesn't keep who he is to himself. It's not some game that he plays. and so he, it's like, He's like trying to figure out, uh, let's see if they can sort out who I am and sort out my ways. No, he tells us. He gives it to us. His will for our lives. He gives us his commands and his ways so that we can choose them over our ways, over the world's ways. Because we're also to remember that his ways are higher than ours. It's not just that his ways are worth more and ours are worth a little bit less. No, it's that ours aren't worth anything. It's not that his ways are good and the world's ways are not quite as good. No, the difference between his ways and the ways of the world is the difference between worth and worthless. It is the difference between life and death. Moses continues in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 15, it's in your notes. Follow along. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, right, if, if you have integrity to God's ways by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, integrity in his ways. For he is your life and length of days. God says, remember Remember that what I offer you and what you offer yourselves is the difference between life and death. Remember that what I offer you and what the world offers to you is the difference between blessing and curse. We're to remember that his ways are life and blessing and wholeness and completeness. And ours are not. 
And what the security guard told me that he kept reminding himself was, this is my job. This is why I'm here. These are the responsibilities that I chose when I took this job. He kept reminding himself about who he was and why he was there. This is true for us as we follow Jesus and choose his ways, right? We can have integrity when we know our true identity, when we know and remember who we are and why we are here. See, I I don't want to get up here and remind all of you of what you should do or what you should want to do. That is not how integrity lasts a lifetime. See, integrity to his ways can last a lifetime by knowing that our lives are created by God and defined by God. I want to remind us of who we are. And who we are is this. We have been purchased. The Bible says that we are not our own, that not only were we created, but we were bought, redeemed, saved by his grace for good works that he has prepared for us. See, when we come to know Jesus, our life stops being our own life and our will stops being our own will. Jeremiah 10, 23 says this, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We're not able to plan our own course. We need his ways because we don't know what we're doing and we're not the owner of our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking about sexual immorality. And in verse 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And apparently Paul was combating some ideas in the church of saying things like in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, people were saying, well, whatever your appetite is hungry for, feed it. After all, people were also saying things like, all things are lawful for me. Jesus has set us free. Hooray, right? So whatever our appetites are for, whatever we're craving, whatever we're hungry for, then let's indulge in it. Let's feed what we're hungry for. But Paul says not all things are profitable. The body is not meant for our own appetites, for whatever we want or whatever we desire. That's not better for us. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body, that our bodies are a part of Jesus. He says we're not our own to do what we want, and our life is not about our own will. We have responsibilities, and the responsibilities that we have received from God is to walk with integrity in his ways, to listen to his voice and do those things in every area of our lives. I think it's easy for us to forget about this. I don't mean actually forget, although sometimes that is possible. I'm talking about functionally forgetting in our lives, to functionally forget that this is true, and it's good to ask ourselves, is there a part of our lives that maybe we have forgotten belongs to Jesus? All of it. See, for us, just like the security guard, it's important for us to remember who we are and what our responsibilities are and and why we're here. It's important, but it's not enough, is it? It's It's not enough just to have responsibilities. What happens when those responsibilities demand something of us that is difficult? What happens when when doing our job becomes really hard and the guns come out? Or what happens when we're we're offered another job, a.k.a. another will for our lives from a different boss that seems to have the promise of more, something more valuable, 
something that says, uh, offers us more quality of life, something seemingly more than the work that Jesus has given us to do. See, for the security guard to hold fast to his job description and to have integrity to the duties asked of him, even when it was difficult, he also had to remind himself of why. Why would he commit to those responsibilities when those responsibilities threatened his quality of life? It threatened his very life. See, the other thing that he told me was this. He said, I kept reminding myself how much I cared for you guys. And how he didn't want something like this to happen to us. He said, I reminded myself how much I love the people that are living in this house. See, when his job got difficult, it was love that held his feet in place. It was love that kept him from running. It kept him from shrinking back and allowing evil to have its way. I want to remind us not just who we are and not just what our responsibilities are, but I want to remind us of why, of why we obey, of why we would hold fast to our integrity. It's not by trying to remind ourselves that we should or trying to force ourselves to try and make myself want what God wants. See, sustained integrity in our lives doesn't happen because we feel like the principles of the Bible make sense. These are not sustainable sources of integrity because it's only a matter of time before circumstances are such that we begin to, to feel like that maybe we shouldn't. It's only a matter of time before circumstances are such that we begin to feel like maybe it doesn't make sense to follow Jesus and walk with him in, in a certain way. That maybe it's counterintuitive to the situation. Right? It doesn't seem like it makes sense to ob- obey the words of our Lord uh, because maybe it's not aligned with the direction of our culture. Or obeying Jesus is uncomfortable in some way. Or obeying Jesus is found to be inconvenient. See, what I'm saying is that there needs to be a foundation for our integrity. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's love that holds our feet in place. It's love that draws a line in our sand, in our lives, and says no further, no matter what. It's love. And even if we could hold fast to some level of integrity in our lives by thinking that we should or or thinking that it makes sense, even if we could hold on to that integrity without love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned and have that kind of level of integrity but have not love, I gain nothing. If I hold fast to my integrity and I do all the right things but don't love, it's nothing. John tells us in 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. And when we get to know love, when we get to know the source of love, then we begin to fall in love with him more and more as we walk closer with him and are directed by him and say yes to the work that he gives us to do, then we begin to fall more and more in love with his ways and his work as well. It goes way beyond should. It goes way beyond human logic. See, what we find is that we were made for it that we were saved for it, and we fall more in love with his ways, not just because they make sense, although they do, right? 
but because his ways are so good and full of life and worth and wholeness. We taste and we see that the Lord is good and then we fall in love more and more with him and then we taste and see that his ways are good as well and we begin to fall in love with them as well. And if having integrity and falling in his ways means that we have to forfeit a certain amount of worldly wealth, then we trust God that he will provide everything that we need. We can trust God. See, because as we get to know God and we begin to fall more in love with him and begin to fall more in love with him because of his love for us, as we we fall in love with him because of his unchanging goodness and unchanging faithfulness and forgiveness and compassion, as we fall in love with him in this way, it is also the same to begin to fall into trust with him as well. The two are linked. There's integrity By trusting, Jesus illustrates this so perfectly in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve God, which is to follow his ways, and money at the same time. You will love one or hate the other. In other words, you can't with integrity serve two different masters. You'll serve the one, how? By believing that that master has what is better for you has our best interest, that what is, that's what is good and beneficial for us. It comes down to who or to what we trust. Job is a great illustration of this. In the beginning of the book of Job, in chapter 1, verse 8, you can follow along with me. It says uh, that the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He's rich. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. And everything that Job has is taken from him. And Job's response is, do you remember it? Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Satan goes back to God. It says in Job chapter 2, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) Again, (laughs) you've removed his hedge. You've taken everything from him, and yet there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan's reply is this, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. You've taken his wealth now let's take his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And then his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. 
Why are you holding on to your integrity? I mean, look at you. Why are you still devoted to God? It's not worth it. All the pain, all the sores, the lack of quality of life, you're not whole, man. Just be done with it. Reject God in his ways. Curse him and just be done with it. It's not worth it. And Job replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You're talking like a fool when you say that. Someone without wisdom. You're talking like how the world so often thinks is that integrity is purely pragmatic. If it works, then use it. If it works, then it's worthwhile. But if it doesn't seem to work, if it doesn't make sense, then let it go. Why hold on to it? Don't hold on to it. Curse God and die, man. Let it go. This has no wisdom. Because if circumstances are the reason that we make choices, then we will never have consistency choosing what is life and true and valuable. Job says, no, it is worth it. He still held fast to his integrity because circumstances should never have an impact on living according to God's ways. If his ways are good, then they are always good, not dependent on circumstances or on how we feel or on how we think, but dependent only on the source of those ways. If we are meant to trust God and accept from him both good and trouble, then we have to know that what he has for us in the midst of our circumstances is always good. In our troubles, in our financial struggles, in our our health issues, in our, our relational problems, in our temptations, in the challenges, and then in the trials of this life, our integrity has to be based on something so much more reliable than circumstances or feelings. If we want to hold fast to integrity and to choose what is better, to choose a way that is higher, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. If we want to be men and women who choose his ways and walk with integrity in a way of life that is so much higher and so much better than anything that this world offers that our integrity needs to have a source. It needs to have a source. It needs to be planted and rooted into something itself has unfailing integrity. Unfailing integrity. Definitely not circumstances. Definitely not anything that this world has to offer. We can have integrity because God is unwavering with his. Isaiah 54.10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Unwavering righteousness, always doing what is right and true and just, unwavering faithfulness, unwavering love so that even though the, the, the mountains are removed, even though the sky might be falling, even though the earth is ripped apart, even though the storms of life may rage and the guns of life, sort of speak, come out and threaten our quality of life, threaten even our very lives. We can do what matters and what is in, has full of integrity according to his ways. We can trust in his unwavering character and his perfect leading so that we can follow him in his ways and walk with him in his ways no matter what. We can do that because even though everything might be crumbling around us in our life, he is not. He is trustworthy. The last thing we're going to look at 
was the very last thing the security guard told me. And he said, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like some hero. I was tempted. I was scared. I was tempted to run. He told me what he really wanted to do was he just wanted to set his gun down. He wanted to go home to his family and never come back. But then he said, but, right? There's integrity through sacrifice. There are temptations that want to deviate away from God's ways, that want to lead us away into some other way that is other than God's. We know this. We're surrounded by these temptations. They're every day. They're every moment. Temptations to be crooked or, or to twist and deform the ways of God in order to satisfy something that we feel like we are lacking or what we feel like will bring us greater comfort or, or worth or pleasure. This is called sin. It's not the ways of God. So to choose sin is to choose a different way other than the ways God has given to us, to be crooked and not have integrity. And these temptations, we know, we know this, they can sneak up on us, can't they? And they present themselves to us as something that they are not. To present themselves as something that you are going to miss out on by following God's ways See, sin never presents itself to us as this horrible, ugly thing that when you do it, you'll hate it, uh, and it'll just be this backbreaking drudgery when you commit this sin. No, it says God is holding you back from something. He's holding you back from living your best life. It says, I have something better for you. And that is the oldest lie in the enemy's playbook. That's Genesis chapter 3 with the serpent and Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan says, you won't die. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding out. He's holding you back. Take the fruit and eat it. And when you do, you will be more whole. You will be worth more. You'll be complete, just like him. It's easy for us to see that as a lie there in the garden. But it's important that we see those things for what they are in our own lives too. Anything that says that God is holding out on you, anything that says that he doesn't want you to experience your best life, anything that tells you choose another way because it's better. The Bible says what we can do with these temptations, we can sacrifice our will. We can sacrifice our own desires. We can do this consistently too because no temptation exists that can't be overcome. This is 1 Corinthians 10. God will always provide a way of escape and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength and so we stay close to him. We walk with him. We talk with him. We pray to him every day and throughout the day. Lord, give us strength. Lord, give us clarity. Lord, give us wisdom to be able to see through lies and give us the strength to reject them. The Bible also says to resist the devil. And when we do, what does it say? He runs. And when we do, we sacrifice a crooked way in order to choose the ways of God, which we find consistently to be 
better. As far as the heavens are from the earth, his ways are better than our ways. And no one demonstrates this more perfectly than Jesus. See, there's a different garden than Eden that Jesus is in. It was right before the cross, and he's talking to the Father. It's right before the people who are closest to him will reject him. It's right before he's going to be betrayed by someone who he's close to. It's right before he gets the guilt and the shame and the punishment for all the sins of the world and right before the father forsakes his own son. And Jesus is in the garden and he says to the father, is there any other way? Is there any other way other than your way, father? But what's his resolve? Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes to the cross and he chooses God's will even though it was so hard. And what turns out is that nothing could be better than that. The cross is the power of God for our salvation. It is by his wounds that we are healed. It's better for us to follow God's ways, even if it means being poor, even if it means difficulty, even if it means inconvenience, even if it means hardship or rejection or persecution, even death. His ways are higher and better than even life itself. So we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We remind ourselves about what our responsibilities are when we, can, we get to know his love for us. And we get to know his, his righteousness and his, his faithfulness and his, his unwavering integrity toward us. And as we do, we fall in love more and more with him and in his ways. And we remind ourselves today that we can trust him. We completely trust him and we can trust his ways. And if we remind ourselves too that any temptation that is offered to us that is different than the way of God's ways is to be resisted, it is to be rejected. Father, not my will but yours be done. And when we do, we will find again and again and again that it is better to be a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his. Father, we thank you so much that you always give us a way out, that there is no temptation that can overcome us, that we can do all things through your Son. You do this for us because you have what is best for us. You have ways that are better than anything else on this planet. Father, we forget that, though. Sometimes we just don't even know it. Sometimes, Father, we're not even in your word learning about who you are and your ways. Father, I pray for our involvement and our dedication to your word to get to know you and your ways and then to do things that would remind us. We, we, urge, we just ask you, Spirit, to, to urge in us a desire to remind ourselves. Do it in us and remind us, please, again and again of your ways are better than our ways so that we can hold fast to integrity. And as we do, we can't help but fall in love with that. And as we do, the world will see us and know that we're followers of you. Our desire is to glorify you. Our desire through all of this and having integrity to you is that the world may know how good you are. Help them see you in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.